So how do we know this is not a housing bubble and how do we prepare for what's gonna happen next? First of all, let me tell you a story about how I personally avoided catastrophe in the housing bubble of 2005 and why it's very clear that this is different. So here's a story. And if you're bored by stories, fast forward a few minutes until we talk about the current environment. But this story helps understand why this is not a housing bubble. It's very important to know that. If you're making personal life plans based on your belief that this is a housing bubble, those plans might not serve you. Or at least maybe you can hedge a little bit, but proceed with the right information. So in 2005, 2000, yeah, 2005, I was living in South Florida. And at the time, I was involved with purchasing and selling real estate. I would buy houses and improve them, make them more valuable, and then sell them at a later date. Some people call it flipping. Sort of was flipping, but it wasn't flipping in the traditional sense. And at any given time, I had one or two houses, and I, would, I, and I lived in a lot of these houses. I would buy a house, live in it while I was fixing it. When I got to the end of being done, I would buy another house, so I could move out of the house that was kind of come for sale. And that way, when I moved out, I could fine tune all the little details, finish everything up, clean it up good. So when somebody went to look at it, it wasn't a lived in house. It looked like a spec house, brand new. And then I would kind of move on to the next one and it would almost be like musical chairs. So this started in about 1999, 2000. And in 2002, I started to get a little bit ambitious and I said, well, why don't I do two houses at a time and then have one that's for sale? So I would, I own three houses at a time, lived in one, fixing one. The other one is like in the pipeline. And then when the first one was sold, I'd move into the other one, buy another one in the pipeline. Right. And for reference, all of these houses were very lucrative in terms of the profits, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands profits on these houses. And to be fair, these are pretty reasonable houses. These weren't million dollar houses. They were two, 300,000 houses. The most expensive house I ever bought was $400,000. Most of them were twos and threes. And at one point in 2004, I went to the mortgage broker that I was working with for these houses. And he said, look, Dave, this market's going crazy. You can get more mortgages. Why don't you just buy a few houses? You made money on all the ones you bought. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure I want to get into all that. I can only do so much. So at the time, I had three houses. One is my primary residence I was living in. One was a house, but it was in a zoned commercial neighborhood that I was using for my office. The other one was a home that I had just purchased. It was actually a buy owner property I had just purchased that didn't need much work. It was just a little bit of a fix up. The person that owned it for 40 years hadn't updated anything, just some cosmetic type things. And all of them were intended to, you know, do my normal minor cosmetic things, make the house more valuable and then resell it. And right around that time, a house came available in a neighborhood of million dollar homes on the water but this one was just one block or, or one lot off the water and it should have been worth you know six or seven but i think it was for sale for like 325. so i bought that house now i'm up to four houses uh, add them all together it's you know million and a half worth of houses in value i wasn't worried about the values i wasn't worried about the overpriced you know being overpriced 
but I still had four houses. Now, for some people, having four houses is nothing. There's some flippers and investors that have 10 houses at a time, 20 houses at a time. But for me at the time, four houses was a big obligation for me. Three of them had mortgages on, one of them didn't. And so here's what happened. Right around that time, it was, I believe, a Friday afternoon or Saturday, whatever day it was, and I had taken my truck. I had a, a Ford F-250. It was, I, I had it for about three months. It was brand new. And I brought it to the car dealership, the Ford dealership, to get its first oil change, break-in oil change. And I brought it to the store, and it was only going to take a little while, and I was waiting in the customer waiting area of the Ford dealership, a nice little lounge with TVs and coffee machines and couches. It was, it was really nice. And about a week or three or four days before this, Hurricane Katrina had come through Florida. Fortunately, it hadn't hit the area where I lived in South Florida, had gone farther north through Orlando. But it was a pretty serious storm even in Florida, but it wasn't catastrophic. Well, the night before, Katrina had crossed the Gulf and had hit, as we all now know, the city of New Orleans. And the city of New Orleans was devastated by Hurricane Katrina. And so at night, it was hard to tell what was going on because the news couldn't get there. Well, the next morning, sun comes up and the news choppers are flying around looking over this devastation. The streets are flooded. The um, Their dome, I forget what it's called, in New Orleans was ripped to shreds. People were, bodies were floating in the road. There was chaos, there was riots. And I'm figuring, well, no problem. Pretty soon, National Guard will be there. They'll be rescuing people. There'll be boats. There'll be planes. There'll be all this kind of stuff. And I'm watching. There's no National Guard. There's no boats. There's no planes. There's no rescue. The government doesn't have this. They don't have control over this. I mean, we do national recoveries in other countries for wars, for natural disasters. People are not swooping in to solve this problem. And I'm thinking... That doesn't sound right. Maybe they're not that organized at the government level. Far for me to think that in the first place. Maybe they don't have this as organized as I think we did, as I thought we did. Got me thinking. At the time in 2005, the only reason that the real estate market had gone up as much as it did was because of government intervention. Low interest rates, mortgage-backed securities, lax regulations at the government level about who can get a mortgage, who can borrow money, no oversight. And they did it intentionally. The Federal Reserve and the Housing Administration had all done this to get more people into homes. Back in the mid-90s, they had passed laws that say, we want more people to be in homes. Don't worry, we got this. We know how to take care of this. And I recognize that the reason that there was a lot of people that were buying houses that really shouldn't be buying houses they didn't have the income, didn't have the down payment, didn't have the credit, was because of government support and intervention. And so I figured, well, the government must know what they're doing. They have this figured out. They got this. And I started thinking, well, and that's what, that's what jacked up all the house prices, right? People that really should be in a hundred dollars to $120,000 house were buying a $400,000 house and it jacked up all the prices. So I'm thinking, well, if they can't, keep this thing organized with people dying in the street in Hurricane Katrina, maybe they don't know what they are doing with the real estate market, with the lending criteria, with the financial regulations. And I got scared because now I got 1.6, 1. whatever it was, million worth of house, houses that I was on the hook for. So 
I waited till after the weekend, and the same thing happened. It was as you remember. Anybody who knows about Katrina, the experts were not swooping into Katrina. They didn't come in and save the day. I said, "Now, if they don't, if they can't figure out this, then I'm questioning if they know what they're doing with this real estate market." So, on that Monday, I called up my real estate broker who I had done business with, and I told him, "Look, put every house for sale. I'm selling them all." You're crazy. You're going to lose so much money. You keep these; it's going to go up. Don't. I said, just sell them. And I priced them aggressively, not at a loss, but not at the highest level that they could have gotten. And a couple of them, I didn't finish all the cosmetic fixes that could have got even more money because it was going to take a month or two or a few months to do it. I wanted to get these houses sold. I was probably a little bit more urgent in selling these houses than I had to. I probably needed to cut them loose that fast. Had I stayed in them a little longer, I could have probably made some more money. Water under the bridge. That's part of decision making. But I got them all sold within three months, maybe four months, one at a time. And so at the end of 2005, I did not own any real estate at all. Well, we all know what happened in 2006 and seven is the real estate market crashed. Had I still been involved with buying and selling real estate, I would have been wiped out. In fact, it probably would have been worse because when the real estate market actually crashed in 2007 is when it started, six or seven, I wouldn't have owned any of those four houses. They would have been sold by then, but I would have owned more houses and different houses. I might've been up to five. Maybe if four was good, five is better, six is even better. Maybe I would have been one of those people with six houses. If I had six houses, all with mortgages in 2007, I would have went bankrupt. I would have been game over. So it was that one little thing that made me question what's underneath the housing market, what is underneath the support for real estate prices. So how does that relate to today? Well, today, the real estate market is different. It is not being supported by artificial government incentives. It's not being supported by lending criteria that if you can fog a mirror, you get a mortgage. If you're a cab driver, you can buy two houses. That's not how it works anymore. Now you have to prove income. And not only do you have to prove it with pay stubs, they check it out. They get transcripts from the tax, from the IRS. They verify it and they verify it again the day you do your closing. Even if you're approved two months ago when you did your contract, the day of your closing, they re-verify everything. If you lost your job in the meantime, too bad, no house. So the government is not pulling up the, the real estate industry from above. They're not pulling it up by lax lending guidelines, by low down payments, by bad credit. They're not pulling it up by making the lending process easier to get more people in houses. What's lifting it up is from below. It's from the demand side where people want to buy a house without any government, I guess, motivation, incentive. Look, many people in 2002 or three or four that were buying houses never had the idea of buying a house until all of a sudden they get something in the mail that says from a mortgage company, hey, you can buy a house. We'll give you a mortgage. I can? Well, why not? Many of the people that bought houses never had the idea of buying a house until their mortgage company said, we'll give you a loan. Anybody's approved. So that demand was false. Now it's the opposite. There's people who want to buy a house who can't because they can't get approved for a mortgage. They don't have the credit. There's people who want to buy a house but can't because the price is too high. There's people who want to buy a house but can't because there's no house available. There's no inventory. 
So the support for this market is from below that's holding it up, not pulling it up. The other difference is, huge difference. Right now, anybody who owns a house and who's buying a house can actually afford the true monthly payment on the house. What does that mean? Well, if you buy a house now, first of all, it's a fixed rate. It's not going to go up. Second of all, it's not any kind of interest only or artificial teaser rate. Third, the income ratio, debt to income ratio is highly scrutinized by the government, meaning that if your payment is $2,000, they want to make sure you make four times that. They want to make sure you make seven or $8,000. If you don't make two or three times or at least double your mortgage payment, you're not going to get approved. Back in the day, 2002, 2003, they didn't care what your income was. You could be making 2000 a month and have a $3,000 mortgage. They don't care. They would prove you anyways. So that was one of the reasons why real estate went down is because people couldn't afford the houses and they had to foreclose them or get rid of them. There are very few people in this market that can't afford the true actual payment on the house. Back in 2002, 2003, there were some people who could afford the payment they were currently paying, but then when the interest rates reset or their variable mortgage went up, then they couldn't afford it anymore because that's the real payment now. The payment they started with was a fake rebate payment. Now it's the real one. 2022, most people that buy a house can afford the real payment. Why did I say most people? Well, the people who can't afford the real payment, it was a trick question. They don't have a payment. Many of the purchases are being made with cash. Cash can't get foreclosed. Cash can't not afford a payment. So that's where the market supported from below, holding it up rather than pulling it up from 2002. This is different. This is not held up by the government. This is being lifted up by demand from the actual consumers. Sure, we can debate whether or not the real estate's a good investment. Is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? But in reality, it's pretty clear that the reason for this rise in price that happened recently is completely different from 2002. What about worst case scenario? If you had purchased a house at the height of the bubble in 2008, worst timing ever. If you were just the unluckiest person in the world and bought a house at the top of the bubble and the market crashed, you'd actually be back in the black four years later. Houses didn't go down for good. They went down when well, the, the foreclosures worked out of the system and the new lending came back in. But by 2011, 2012, maybe 2013 in some markets, the prices were back right where they were in 2008. So even in a market that was artificially inflated, buyers really didn't lose that much money. If you held on to the house, if you could hold on to the house, if you panicked and sold or got foreclosed, yep, you lost money. But those people were undercapitalized. In this market, the prices are up. Are they inflated? Is it a bubble? Who knows, right? But the reason for it being up are different. And even if it is a bubble and it pops in four years, historically speaking, it's going to be right back at the same place. So if you're buying a house for the right reasons, for a place to live and for an investment, if you're planning on being there for some period of time, not just trying to flip it or buying three houses, you're probably going to be okay. And if buying a house is a good decision for your finances because it'll be less than rent, you're not throwing away money to a landlord, 
you get appreciation when that when the market goes up you get tax benefits then being worried about a bubble is going to hurt you in the long run in fact everybody who in 2019 2020 saw prices going up and said this is a bubble i'm going to wait they're probably regretting that the average increase of a home for a median home in 2021 was $72,000 average increase for a median home so if you bought a house in 2020 thinking you know if if you didn't buy a house in 2020 thinking it was going to be a bubble you missed out on $72,000 in increase and now you have to buy a house that's going to be at least that much more so food for thought look we're not giving you legal advice. We're not financial advisors. We're just trying to go with history, experience, and realistic observations about the world. It's not even really an opinion. It's just looking at what the facts are. You have to make your own decision, obviously, but we just want to give you a point of view that has rational, realistic, reasonable premises behind them, not based on just a feeling or a thought or well, that was a bubble, so this must be a bubble. Prices went up before, went up again, right? So real estate has always been a long-term beneficial investment. Like the guy said a long time ago, it ain't making any more. Real estate is what it is. Certainly, there's something to be worried about by losing if you buy a house. It's very unlikely you're going to lose. Now, if it's not a good idea for you to buy a house financially right now, different story. But you can even watch some videos that you could probably make it work anyways. You'll probably get a decent house with a mortgage, tax and insurance for right around a thousand bucks, which would make it a good financial decision unless you can't afford a thousand bucks. It's not a bubble. doesn't look like it. Obviously, you got to make your own decision, but it's one way of looking at the world that might be beneficial.